of John, the sixth chapter. I'm not going to release you to uh, greet each other tonight. I want to get right into the word of the Lord. Let's go to John chapter 6, beginning with verse 48. John 6 and verse 48 in the word of the Lord tonight. John chapter 6, sixth chapter to me is probably the central chapter, not as far as numbers are concerned, but the central chapter as far as truth is concerned. John chapter 6 and verse 48. Amen. If you have it, say praise the Lord. John 6, 48. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which will I give for the life of the world. The Jews thereof strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We thank you for speaking to us tonight. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. For the sake of Albert Fino, is Fino here tonight? I think I saw him somewhere. There he is. He called me after I uh, made a mention of the I Am's in the book of John, and he asked me how many were in there, and I told him there were 12 of them. So for his sake, I'm going to uh, go through these. Uh, some people are only able to locate seven, and I'm going to run through these for Albert Fino's sake. Amen. That man has a hunger for the Word of God. All right, I'm going to give you 12 of them. If you want to write them down, you can. You go very, very fast. Actually, there are a total of 23. Okay? In the original language, it would be ego, me, ego, me. That's the Greek. 23 of those translated would be I am, but not all of them are translated that way, I am in the Gospel of John. Okay? So specifically, there's 23 of them. But there are 12 of them that are recorded uh, by way of translation. So let me give them to you. I am the bread of life, John 6, 35 through 36. I am the light of the world, John 8, 12, and also 9, verse 5. I am from above, not of this world, John 8, 23. Truly, truly, I say unto you, before Abraham was born, I am, John 8, 58. I am the door of the sheep, John 10, 7. I am the good shepherd, John 10, 11. I am the son of God, John 10, 36. I am the resurrection and the life, John 11, 25. I am the teacher and the Lord, John 13, 13. You may believe that I am, John 13, 19. I am the way and the truth and the life, John 14, 6. I am the true vine, John 15, 1. So that is 
the twelve I am's recorded in the Gospel of John. Now, there are seven I am's, and with those seven I am's, there are metaphors that are with the seven. Okay? And these metaphors express his salvation in relationship to the world. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. So those seven uh, demonstrate his saving relationship toward the world. So we have the I am's with the metaphors. All right, so there you have it concerning the I am's of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Okay, particularly if you'll look with me, please, in verse 53. Jesus gives a idiomatic statement here, or a figure of speech, okay? John 6.53, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. How would you like to explain that one? Eat the flesh of Jesus Christ and drink his blood. Without that, you have no eternal life. Okay, so we're going to try to explain that to you tonight. Let's back up to verse 31. I think that's where we left off last week. No, let's hear verse 30. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What doest thou work? Okay, now remember the Gospel of John is written like this. It's written where you have a miracle or a sign of Jesus Christ. And then we have, following that miracle or that sign, we have a dialogue or a message that the Lord preaches after that sign that has been given, okay? And then after you have that speaking of Jesus, then the Gospel of John shows you the way the people responded to what he said, what they said to what he said. What was the people's response to what Jesus said? What did they say? about what he said. What was their response? You can go through the Gospel of John and you'll see this over and over and over. You see a sign, the preaching of Jesus, then you see the response of the people to the preaching of Jesus. Now as we talked to you last Wednesday, we showed you that there wasn't much time given to the two signs or two miracles. The feeding of the 5,000, okay? Taking the five loaves and two fish and spreading them and feeding 5,000 men and then the sign of walking on the water. Not very, very much time was given to the miracles. More time is given to the preaching of Jesus than his sign or his miracle to lay emphasis or stress the importance of his word, not a miracle, okay? Because the miracles were given to testify that Jesus Christ is the Son of God or the Messiah in the Gospel of John. So let's focus upon what Jesus said after the sign was given. Uh, the Bible tells us what the response of the people was to the sign. They said, therefore, unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? They're wanting another miracle. They want some more breakfast for their belly. Okay? So they've already seen a sign, but they're saying, Show us another sign that we can believe in you which was not true. They had no intention of believing in him. They just wanted their bellies fed. Okay, they were focused on physical things, physical bread, you know, getting their belly full, etc. They had no intention of believing in Jesus Christ. They wanted to take him and make him a king. 
Okay, remember that? Make him a king so he could overthrow the Roman Empire, set up a kingdom and a bread program. Okay? And basically their approach was, we want to make you a king, only a temporary king. And Jesus walked away from that. He said, I don't want to be a king that way. All right? And so that's in their minds. They want a program. They want a bread program. They want an earthly king that will distribute, you know, and so-called give them life because they're seeking life. But they're seeking life the wrong way. They're seeking life just in the realm of the natural. Okay? Okay, so the Bible tells us they want another sign. Verse 31, they continue speaking. It said, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now what is the background of this whole thing? Passover. So they came out of Egyptian bondage. For 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. And the Bible says they ate manna for 40 years in the wilderness. God rained down manna from heaven for 40 years. Okay? Not just one day. Are y'all here? But six days a week for 40 years. He poured out this manna from heaven. Landed upon the earth. They looked at it. They said, what is it? They gathered it up, you know. And they ate that. And they were sustained by that bread that God sent down from heaven for 40 years, six days a week. And the Bible tells us that that bread was the bread of angels. So they did eat angels' meat. He just rained it down from the sky. They didn't know what it was. But it was God's provision for them for 40 years, six days a week, right? That was a natural miracle in the Old Testament. You understand? And so now we see Jesus does another natural miracle in the realm of bread by taking five loaves and two fishes and multiplying them and feeding the multitudes, showing that He's the same God that rained down manna from heaven for 40 years, six days a week. Same God in the Old Testament, right? That gave them natural, physical bread. Now He's given them natural, physical bread, but remember that the natural is pointing to the spiritual. Okay? So way back in the days of Moses, we had a natural miracle. That natural miracle was a type and a shadow of that which was to come. Also, the table of showbread in the tabernacle was a type and a shadow of that which was to come. This miracle of Jesus, feeding of the 5,000, was a natural miracle that was pointing to spiritual truth. Do you understand that? Okay, so Jesus was trying to bring them from the natural to the spiritual, which all the types in the Bible were set up that way. A natural thing that was pointing to a spiritual truth. That's called the law of hermeneutics. The law first mentioned is normally the natural first and then the spiritual. Okay, so what God would do is He would give a natural thing that natural thing was pointing to a spiritual reality. You understand? Say praise the Lord if you understand that. Uh, let me give you an example of that. When God created, you know, back there in the days of creation, He created the sun, the moon, and the stars. Natural lights. But the sun, the moon, and the stars, the natural lights in the heaven are pointing to spiritual truths. He is the true light. The church is the true reflection of that light. And also, those that win souls are like the stars of heaven. 
Okay? So you have a natural thing given before the spiritual. That's a biblical law. Alright? You understand what I'm telling you? Another example of this. Remember, God created Adam. Right? The sixth day. Adam, the Bible tells us, he names all of the animals. Boy, I'm putting you to sleep, aren't I? Okay. He named all the animals, right? He looks up and he sees a stallion go by with the mare. He looks up, he sees a buck go by with the doe. You with me so far? Say praise the Lord. He sees a lion go by and he sees a lioness with the lion. So he sees a male and female pair. As he sees these go by in pairs, and he names them one by one, he looks around, and there's nobody for him. Where's his female counterpart? Okay. So God put Adam to sleep, took out of his side a rib, and he formed a woman. Say woman. Ishai. His lady. Forms her. He wakes up. And he sees her, this beautiful counterpart to himself. So now he understands that the buck and the doe, the lion, the lioness, the stallion, and the mare were all trying to create a question in his mind, where's my partner? Okay? So now God gives him, Adam, gives him a helpmate, the woman, Ishai. So now he has his lady. Why did God do that? Any idea? Good. Okay, so now we see, all right, we got these animals, we got the stallion, we got the mare, we got the buck, the doe, we got the, the lion and the lioness, you know, walking by. And now all of a sudden, Adam is walking by with his Ishai. And God says, where's mine? So from the very beginning, God gives you natural things in the Word of God to show you what he's going to do in the future. He's going to have a bride for himself. He's going to have a lady for himself. So that when Jesus Christ comes into the world, he's called the last Adam. And I'm looking at the bride of Christ tonight. Okay? So what God did in the Old Testament, he's rained down this bread or this manna from heaven. It was natural bread. I mean, we're talking about way back in time in the days of Moses, right? table of showbread. I've already gone through it with you. And then now he works a miracle in the natural realm. But all of that is a type that's pointing to a spiritual truth. He's trying to get these people into the Spirit. He'll never succeed. He will never succeed getting this people into the Spirit. Because they don't understand what he's saying. And the reason why they don't understand why, what he's saying is because they don't want to understand what he's saying. So he will never, he's not going to succeed with this crowd that he's talking to, Brother Mark, to pull them into the Spirit. To get them to understand that all that was natural was the natural first, then the Spirit. That, that law that's biblical, okay, in your Bible. So keep that in mind as we go through this. So their focus is still on natural things. Uh, look at verse 32. 
Then Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, say verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. Moses didn't give you the manna. God gave you the manna. And Moses didn't give you Jesus. God gave you Jesus, the true bread. Okay? So he said, then Jesus, then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. And he's standing right there in front of them. He is the true bread that the manna was a type of. He is the true bread that the table of showbread was a type of. He is the true bread of God. Moses didn't give them Jesus. God gave them the true bread. Say the true bread. All right. So the miracle was pointing to him, the feeding of the 5,000 at this point. Verse 33, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth his life unto the world. Wow. He came from heaven. He is God come in the flesh. Let me read it again. For the bread of God is he with he, say he, which cometh down from heaven, just like the manna came down. You understand? He giveth his life unto the world. Say unto the world. In the Old Testament, the manna fed the Jews. But when you see the true bread, Jesus Christ standing there, He said, it's not just for the Jews. He said, it's for the whole world. Okay? The true bread is for us. Then said they unto Him, look at their response to what He says. Then said they unto Him, Lord evermore, give us this bread. We just got through telling them. That he's the true bread, right? Give us this bread. Yeah, they're still thinking in the realm of the natural. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. Say, I am. So we have the I am. First recorded words actually translate I am in this Gospel of John. I am. What he's telling them is that he is the eternal God that Moses met on the backside of the desert before God used Moses to take them out of Egyptian bondage and before the manna fell, he is that God that was in the burning bush. He's letting them know that he is the I am that I am of the Old Testament. He's letting them know that he is the eternal God. He's letting them know that he is equal to God. He's letting them know that he's none less than God. He's letting them know that he's the same God that poured out the manna that met Moses in the backside of the desert in the burning bush. He is the everlasting, eternal, self-existent one. I am uh, that I am the God of the Bible. So when he says, I am, he's telling them he's the eternal God. And the I am, the eternal God, has become a man, and he's the bread from heaven. Give the Lord praise in the house. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. He said, if you, if you partake of me, if you eat of me, he said, you'll never get hungry again. He said, but you, you've seen me, but you, you still don't believe. And all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Oh, this is powerful. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, and I will in no wise cast out. There's two powerful things that you need to see in that. Election and free will. 
Check this out. The Bible, let me get it, look at it again, please. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Did the Father give you to Jesus? Did He give me to Jesus? Now, Jesus is the Father, but I'm talking about the eternal Spirit of God that's in Him. I want you to think about this. This is a powerful statement that He's, that he's saying here. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Are you the elect of God? Has God chosen you? According to the passage right here, only the elect of God come to Him. Only those that the Father have chosen and the Father has given to Him. Are y'all with me? Oh, check that out. So if only the elect of God or the election come, then are you the elect? Has God chosen you? You, you hear what I'm trying to tell you tonight? Only the elect come to Him. So that means you have to be elected to come to Him. You have to be the, in the election to come to Him. If you're not the elect of God, you will not come to Jesus. Ooh. So that's, gonna, that's really... you got to think about that. I have to be the elect of God. I have to be chosen by the Father to come to Jesus. If I'm not chosen by the Father and I'm not the elect of God, I will not come to the Father. So now you've got to ask yourself a question. Am I the elect of God? And if I'm not the elect of God, I cannot come to Him. So the election of God, the sovereignty of God in choosing who He will. You understand? But then the free will of man. Watch what He says. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Now we move into free will. So only the elect come to him. Are y'all here with me? And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. So that means who he chooses comes to him. Are y'all here? That's his sovereign. That's his election. That's his choosing, right? You understand if He did not choose you, if He did not choose me, if He did not elect you or elect me, you would not come on your own. You don't, you don't. I nor you do not have the intellectual capability to come to Him. See, we, we don't even know we need Him if He doesn't draw us. See, He has to choose you before you'll choose Him. If He never chooses you or elects you, you would never come to Him because you don't have the intellect to even know you need Him. So He first chose you. Are y'all here with me? And in choosing you, hallelujah, free will comes in, your free will. And Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. So who are the elect? They are the ones that God has chosen. But the ones that, have, that He has chosen are the ones that come to Him. So if you have come to Him, that means you are the elect. Jesus, help me tonight. Whew. See, I'm sitting there looking at that. Well, the only way I can come to Him if I'm, if I'm the elect. But then He turns around and tells us right here. Are y'all here tonight? 
And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. So who is the elect? The elect are those that have been chosen by God who exercise their free will to choose to go to Him. That's how you know if you're the elect of God or if you're the chosen of God because you have chosen to come to Him. So He first chose you. He drew you. Amen. He put a longing in your heart for Him. But then you are responsible to respond to that choosing. So you're not without excuse. You can't say, well, God didn't choose me, so I'm not going to be saved. I'm telling you that He chooses you, draws you by His Spirit, but you're still responsible for coming to Him. You are still responsible to respond to Him when He draws you or when He chooses you or when He elects you. If you don't move, if you don't come, then it's your responsibility if you die and go to hell. But you would have never come to Him. You would have never chosen Him if He hadn't first chosen you and drew you to Him. And because you knew He chose you and was drawing you to Himself, then you came to Him, exercised your free will. And by exercising your free will, you said, yes, I want to be the elect of God. But if ever you think that you're the one that took the initiative, if ever you think that you're the one that came up with the idea, you're sadly mistaken. He took the initiative to save me. He took the initiative to save you. If it wasn't for Him drawing you, choosing you, and electing you, you wouldn't be here tonight. You would never have come to Him. So He took the initiative. He started the whole process. But then you become responsible to yield to that choice. So we have the election of God and we have the free will of man in the same verse. That is powerful. Give the Lord praise in the house. How do I know, Pastor, I'm the elect of God? Because I came to Him. Because I believe. Not just a mental acceptance. It's... Believing in the Word of God is not just mental acceptance or mental assent. It's a complete surrender of your life to Him. It is a continual believing in Him. That's the Bible believing. Say praise the Lord. So I don't have to worry about being left out of election. I don't have to worry about God just choosing certain people and leaving me out. He chose us. Amen? He chose you, but you had to respond by your free will to that choice. And because you responded by your free will to that election, that lets me know that you're the elect of God. So it's really not all that complicated. I'm just telling you it started with Him and not you. And then you responded to His choice, which makes you the elect of God. You thought you chose. You thought you were the one that started the whole thing. You thought you're the one that, yeah, no, God. I'm telling you, I wouldn't even have known I needed Him. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't have had the intellect or the brains to even know I need God. And if God doesn't draw me, choose me, elect me, start the whole thing, start the, initi the initiative, you know, take the initiative to save me, 
then I would have never known I needed him. And I would have never come to him if he didn't draw me. You're here tonight because God had your number at some point. You're here tonight because God's Spirit moved upon you. You're here tonight because God chose you. And you're here tonight because you chose Him. And because you chose what He chose, that makes you a part of the elect of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Give God praise in this house. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. He's not going to cast you out if you come to him. But you couldn't have come to him if he didn't choose you. Hallelujah. Give God praise in the house. But you need to realize is that there are some, even though they have been chosen and elected, because they exercise their free will to choose against what he's chosen, they will be lost and die and go to hell. They were the chosen. They were the elect of God. But their free moral... Come on, somebody. Their freedom of will took them away from being the elect of God. Say praise the Lord. Verse 38, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him that sent me. He's, he's an obedient servant. He's speaking as a man. He's speaking as a man. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. That's predestination. And predestination only applies to the church. God did not predestine anybody to go to hell. Did you hear what I said? He predestined the church for glory. So when He elects you and chooses you and you respond to that by your free will and you come into His kingdom, you come into His church, there is a predestination for that church. And that is, are y'all here today? He's going to raise you up in the last days. You don't have to worry about it. He's not going to fail in that area. He cannot fail to raise up the elect of God. He cannot fail those who have come to Him. So predestination, predestined. Destiny is predetermined for us. Destiny is predetermined for the church. So if you get in the church, you don't have to worry about going to heaven because the church is going to be in heaven. And if you get in the church of Jesus Christ and you stay in the church of Jesus Christ, then you will be in heaven because He has a predestination for you and that's heaven. And He cannot fail. Powerful. You'd have to take God off His throne for Him to fail in this process. It's impossible for God to fail. Woo, glory to God. Verse 39, and this is the Father's will which He has sent me that of all which He hath given me election, I should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day. Are y'all here now? And this is the will of Him that sent me that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life and I will raise Him up at the last day. If you exercise your free will to come to Him and believe, to totally surrender your life to Him, and not just a one-time acceptance, but a continuance, 
This word believe means you continually believe. Not that you believed at one time and then quit believing. It means that the person who continues to believe. It's a continuation of belief. It is a complete surrender of your life. It is not this idea that you can come to the front of the church and accept Jesus as your Savior. Mental acceptance. And that puts you in salvation. That is not Bible. To believe is a complete surrendering of your life to Him. And it is a continual belief, not a one-time thing. Give God praise in this house. So he's calling them to believe on him, right? Not the signs, not not just get, you know, follow him because you can get your belly full. Believe on him because he's the only one that can give you eternal life, right? Verse 41. What is the response of the Jews to what he just said? What do they say to his saying? Now, I invite you, I can't make you, but I invite you to wake up because we're fixing to move into some very beautiful things, okay? The Jews then murmured, so now they're going to respond to what he says. The Jews then murmured at him. They started whispering. They murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. In their mind, how can this Jesus say, he's the bread that came down from heaven. He, I am the eternal God. I am the bread come down from heaven in human form to bring salvation to the world. How can he be the I am? The bread that came down from heaven. This is Mary and Joseph's son. We know who he is. He's the one that, remember, he's in Capernaum right now. The boat, remember, they took a boat over there. They're in Capernaum of Galilee right now. And so in their mind, he's the one that lives around the corner. We know Joseph. We know Mary. We know Jesus. We've seen him raised up right around the corner. And how is this son of a carpenter, a stonemason, how is it possible that he could claim that he is the bread that came down from heaven? In their mind, he's just Joseph and Mary's son. In their mind, he's nothing more than a man. When they look at him, they don't see deity come in flesh. When they look at him, they don't see the I am that I am. They don't see that he's God. They just see a man and they think they know everything to know about him and his family. That is their mistake and that is our mistake. Because many times we think we can look at a person and we can think, well, we know everything about them. How can you possibly know everything about them? And here are these religious hypocrites, these religious Jews. They look at Jesus Christ and that to them, he's nothing but just a man. He's just a human being. They don't see that he's God. They don't believe he's the bread from heaven. They don't believe he's God come in the flesh to bring salvation to mankind. 
to bring man out of Egyptian bondage to sin and death and destruction. They don't believe He's the God-man. They don't believe He's equal with God. To them, He's just a man. And we know He was raised right around the corner from us. And we know His, his mama and we know His daddy, you know. That's what they said. Say, praise the Lord. Verse 42, they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that He saith, I came down from heaven? And they said, is not this, I'm showing you the response of the people to what he's saying. Are y'all awake? Jesus, now watch what he says. Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, murmur not among yourself. Stop standing over there and whispering to each other. <laughs> he claims to be the bread that came down from heaven. He, he claims to be, I am the bread, God, eternal God, come in human form to save the world. He claims to be the one that's the fulfillment of the types and shadows. The man that came down from He claims to be the true bread. He's just Joseph's son. He's just Mary's son. He, he's just a man. See, they think they got it figured out. That's the problem with religious people. They think they got it all figured out. They think they know every in and out. <laughs> they did not know Him. They claimed to know who He was. But they did not recognize he was the God man. God come in flesh. Hallelujah to the Lamb. That he's not just the one who rained down the manna. He's not just, come on somebody. He's not just the fulfillment of the manna. He's the one that rained the manna down. He's the God that sent the manna down. And now that God has come in human form. And he's the true bread of which the type pointed to. The natural pointed to. The spiritual bread that came down from heaven. And they say, he's just, he just, he just a man. He's just human, that's all. Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. Here we are again, the election of God. You can't come to Jesus Christ except the Spirit of God that was in Him draw you to Him. The word literally means to be dragged. You can't come to Jesus except the Spirit of the Father that was in Him literally drags you to Him. Hallelujah to the Lamb. You say, well, I was a willing participant. Oh, really? When I saw you come in, you were kicking, fighting, and screaming. Didn't know if you wanted to be here or not. But it was your choice. No, He drugged you. He didn't just drug you. He dragged me. He dragged me to Himself. If He didn't drag me to Himself, I wouldn't be here tonight. If He didn't continue to draw me to Himself or drag me to Him, I wouldn't be here tonight. Yeah. yeah. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw Him. I will raise Him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets. Oh, yeah, here with this. It is written in the prophets. I want you to see what's going to happen here. See, they couldn't use that as an excuse for not being saved. They could say, God didn't draw me. I'm not the elect of God. Oh, really? Well, Jesus has already got that covered. Okay? 
See, they think they know everything. They think they know who He is. They think they know what He's about. They think they know. Are y'all with me right now? They are not willing to hear the Word of God. So lest they, they say, well, we're not the elect and we're not chosen to come. Here's what Jesus says. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man thereof that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. So in case you're not, uh, in case you feel like you're not chosen or elected by God, you can use that excuse for not coming. He's telling them the word of God is coming to you right now. It's coming to you right now. But you refuse to hear it. But if you'll hear the Word of God that's being preached to you, everyone that hears the Word of God will come to Jesus Christ. If you'll hear the Word of God, you will come to Him. So if you think, well, I'm not the elect of God, He's telling you. If you'll hear the Word of God, the Word of God, when you hear that Word, is going to cause you to come to Him. And therefore, by your free will, you will choose Him. And by your choosing of Him, that shows that you are elected. Give God praise in the house. Hallelujah to the Lamb. So He says in verse 44, No man cometh to me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him. I will raise him up in the last day. He said that back in John chapter 5. He said, I'm going to raise him up in the last day. Only God resurrects the dead. So here we have another statement of Jesus that proves that He is God because only God raises the dead. No man can raise the dead except He be the Father. Except He be God. And He is God in sonship. He is God in human form. And He said, I'm going to raise Him up. Only God raises the dead. He's not God. He can't raise the dead. Come on, somebody. He's the I Am that I Am. Glory to God. It is written in the prophets, they shall be all taught of God, every man therefore that hath heard, hath learned of the Father, cometh unto me. He said, the word of God's coming to you right now. If you'll hear that word, you will come. The problem is you are refusing to hear the words. You're refusing to see. Say amen. Verse 46, not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God. He has seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Let's just mentally accept Jesus as our Savior. Let's have a mental assent or a mental acceptance. No, that is not biblical believing. I wish some of the pastors in this area would start studying their Bible. When they tell, well, you need to believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. And then they tell them to come to the front and accept Jesus. And then they tell them, you are saved. Are you kidding me? Except you eat His flesh and drink His blood? You don't have eternal life. It's much more than just having a mental acceptance of Jesus. He already said in John chapter 2, he said many believed on him when they saw the miracles that he did, but he did not commit himself unto them because he knew what was in them. So you can have a, me a mental acceptance, a mental um, 
assent to Jesus, but that is not salvation. It means an absolute total surrender of your life to Him. And the word means continually believe in Him. And we're going to find out when we get through the chapter what it means to really believe in Him. To completely surrender to Him. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. See, that's why a lot of people, they don't get the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. You know why? Because secretly down, down in their heart, they think all you have to do is go to an altar, accept Jesus as your Savior, and you're going to heaven. And because they've got family members that have done that. They're hoping that's all it takes. So they won't get the Holy Ghost because if they get the Holy Ghost, then they have to look at their family members a different way. Are they really saved or not? Hallelujah to the Lamb. It's much more than just having a mental acceptance or a nod to Jesus. And we'll see that when we get, oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. Oh, glory to God. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am, he said it again here, now watch. He said it in verse 35, now he says it again. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Watch he, watch what he says, verse 49. He said, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. He said, they ate natural bread that gave their bodies physical life. But that bread they ate, that physical natural bread they ate in the wilderness only gave them physical life temporarily. It wasn't triumphant over the grave. They died. They ate the natural bread that came down from God out of heaven in the wilderness. They ate that bread. It sustained them physically. It gave them life physically. But they died and they went into a grave. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Come on, y'all here today? This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a, that a man may eat thereof and not die. He said, you partake of me. You eat me. He said, this bread, which is himself, will give you victory over the grave. It's more than physical bread. He is the spiritual bread that came down from God out of heaven to give eternal life, not just physical life. You want your bellies full. Jesus said, I'm trying to bring you in the spiritual truth here. I'm trying to show you that it's more than physical bread that you need. You need eternal life. And He's the only one that can give it. He's the only one that can give you that life that will make you triumphant over the grave. Triumphant over death. That was just the natural pointing to the spiritual. They can't see it. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a, that a man may eat thereof and not die. Wow. He said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh what I will give for the life of the world. He said, the bread, he said, that's my flesh. He said, I'm going to give my flesh for the life of the world. This is his crucifixion. This is his death. 
This is his vicarious sacrifice for you and me. Hallelujah. That flesh that will be crucified, dead, buried, and raised from the dead, and ascending up, that flesh is what's going to give you eternal life. But he has to give that flesh that bread. It has to die in order to give you life. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Go to Leviticus 17 and verse 10. Turn there. He said, except you eat his, bread and, uh, drink, uh, eat his flesh and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Is Jesus telling them that they're going to have to become cannibals? Is he literally telling them that each one of them is going to get a piece of his flesh and eat literally his flesh and each one of them is going to get a little bit of his blood and literally drink his blood. Is he teaching them cannibalism? Mm. If he was, he's going against the word of God. Except you eat his flesh and drink his blood, you have no life in you. What is he talking about? Let's go to Leviticus chapter 17. In the Old Testament, God forbade a person to drink blood or to eat blood. Y'all still awake? Y'all there? Now while you're turning there, I want to... While you're turning there, don't go back to John yet, but I want to read something to you. In John 6, 27, he said, Labor not for the meat which perisheth. That, that meat will spoil. That, that natural bread will spoil. It will perish. But for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. You know what he just said? He said, I'm sealed of God. I have the approval of God. He confirms me, is what Jesus is saying. What is the reference to? Manners and customs in Bible times make a statement about this passage. They say that in Egypt, a sacrificial animal had to be inspected. Now listen carefully. It had to be inspected for blemishes. So they searched the animal to make sure it had no blemishes or imperfections in it. After they discovered that the animal had no blemishes or imperfections in it, they took a label and they tied the label to the horn of the animal. And then they added wax to the label. And the king put his ring in the wax on the label that authenticated the sacrifice as being without blemish and without imperfection and that it could be offered as a sacrifice. So when Jesus said that He is sealed of God, 
God is saying in Him there is no blemish, there is no imperfection in Him. He is the chosen one to be the sacrifice for the world. He's got the the seal of God. Say amen. Okay. Unless you drink, eat His flesh, drink His blood, you have no life. Leviticus 17.10. Look at it. God is not telling them to literally eat his flesh and literally drink his blood. Leviticus 17, verse 10. Are you there? And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn among you that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood and will cut him off from his people. But yet yet Jesus is standing there and telling them, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. But the Old Testament, God's Word says, if you drink blood, God would kill you. He would cut you off if you drank blood. In fact, you're not supposed to drink blood in the things you eat. It's not just taking a cup of blood and drinking it. It's, it's eating the meat that's got the blood still in it. You're not supposed to eat bloody meat. Okay? It's a violation of the Scripture. So when Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life, He, he cannot be talking about drinking liter- His literal blood and eating His literal flesh because that would be a violation of Scripture and God killed the people who drank blood in the Old Testament. You know why? You know why? Because it was a mockery of the blood of Jesus. That's why Satanists today, when they have their little meetings and their celebrations, they drink blood. You know why they drink blood? To mock the blood of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, God said, you drink the blood, He said, He'd cut you off. Now watch, continue. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. It doesn't say, what does it say? The life of the flesh is in the blood. So the life is in the blood. It doesn't say the blood is in the life. See, some of y'all are already, you better listen to what I'm telling you. Because this gets heavy, okay? The Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. Say, life is in the blood. It doesn't say the blood is in the life. It says the life is in the blood. Okay? Now watch. Listen carefully. So God... Come here, Jeremiah. God gave us a body. This is Jeremiah, buddy. God gave Jeremiah a body to house his soul. And He gave him a soul to house his spirit. And he gave him blood to house the spirit of God. Okay? He gave him a body to house the soul. He gave him a soul to house the spirit. And his spirit is in his blood. And the blood is given to house the spirits of God as well. Watch this. So that when the life of the flesh is in the blood. 
It doesn't say the blood is in the life. It says the life is in the blood. So if, go ahead, go down. If you take my blood out of my body, if I lose the blood that's in my body, my life goes out because my life is in the blood. Are y'all with me? My spirit is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. It doesn't say the blood is in the life. It says the life is in the blood. So you take my blood, then you take my life. When my blood leaves my body, my spirit leaves my body because the life of the flesh is in the blood. Oh, hello somebody. Now hold on to that. You need to listen. The life of the flesh is in the blood. So the life of man is his blood. Catch that? The life of man is his blood. So Jesus in his flesh or his humanity, the life of his humanity is the blood. But what is the life of God? God is a spirit. God doesn't have blood without taking that on or adding that dimension to him. So the life of God is his spirit, but the life of man is the blood. You see? Say praise the Lord. And it is a blood. It is the blood, he says in verse 11. Watch this. I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. So he says two things. He said the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of humanity, the life of man is in his blood. You, get, you shed the blood or the blood goes out of your body, so does your life. You cannot separate your life from your blood. And you cannot separate your blood from your life. Your spirit and your blood are connected. Hallelujah to the Lamb. My body houses my soul. My soul houses my spirit. The blood is a house for the Spirit of God. But in that blood is my life. You can't separate your life from your blood. You can't separate your blood from your life. They said, don't eat the blood. And he said, he said, I've given the blood to make an atonement for your soul. It's for the altar to cover your sins. Okay. Therefore, I said unto you, children of Israel, no soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger that sold among you eat blood. Okay. Are we now? So now Jesus. He looks at them and he says, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life. Say amen. Now, where did Jesus get his blood? He got his blood from God. As I said, God didn't have blood. As a spirit, he didn't have blood. But when he moved upon the virgin Mary... Come on. And entered into the womb of the Virgin Mary and became a man. You understand? At that point, he took on blood 
and he took on flesh and bone in the womb of Mary, but he was God in that body. Come on. But he did not get his blood from his mother because you don't get your blood from your mother. You get your blood from your father. That's why when they do a blood test to determine who the daddy is of the child, they can tell who the father is because that child got his blood from his father. He did not get his blood from his daddy. So they do a blood test not to find out who mama is, but they do a blood test to find out who daddy is. So Jesus did not get his blood from his mother. Mary's blood was tainted with sin. He got his blood from his father so that the blood of Jesus was the blood of God himself. And that blood that was in his veins was incorruptible blood. It had no streaks of sin in it at all. Because it was the blood of God. It was the blood of the Father. And by the way, His blood will type with any type of blood. You say, I got type A. Well, if you go to the doctor and they want to do a blood transfusion on you, if you're type A, they got to give you type A blood. If you're type B, they got to give you type B blood. If you're type O negative, they got to give you type O negative blood. Are y'all here right now? But Jesus' blood will match with any of your blood in this house. Hallelujah. His blood will match any type in this house. It's the blood of God. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. But the blood that flowed in his veins was the blood of God. It was the blood of the Father that flowed in his veins. Now hold on to that. Watch. So the blood that was in Jesus is the blood of God. And it's the blood that gives life to his humanity. His humanity or his flesh, the life was in the blood. Say amen. That blood was the blood of God. But also, he is God. The Spirit of God is in him. Watch this. The blood, the life of the flesh is in the blood. So far as his humanity is concerned, come on somebody. His human life was in the blood. But because he was God as well, come on somebody, God, the Spirit of God, is connected with the blood of Jesus Christ. Because the blood that's in him is the blood of God, and the Spirit that's in him, which is life, the life of God, is connected. They are inseparable. So you have the life of man, the blood, the blood of God, and the life of God, the Spirit of God in him, and you cannot separate the two. So when you get his blood, you get his spirit. And when you get his spirit, you get his blood. You cannot separate them. You can't get his blood without getting his spirit, nor can you get his spirit without getting his blood. So he said, except you eat my flesh, come on somebody, and drink my blood, you have no life. His flesh, his humanity is what's going to be beaten and broken for you. He's the beaten and broken bread. He said, I'm going to give this bread. He said, it's my flesh. I'm going to give my flesh for the world. He said, I'm going to die for the world. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. 
He's already got the cross uh, set before him. He knows he's going to go and die on that cross uh, as a vicarious uh, or a substitute uh, for mankind. Say amen now. They're going to beat him and they're going to break his back. That's his body, his flesh. Say amen. On that cross and his blood is going to be shed for the salvation of the world. His blood is going to bring forgiveness of sins. Give the Lord praise in the house. So when he said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life. He's saying, can you swallow this? Are y'all here right now? Can you swallow what I'm telling you? I'm the true bread. I'm not turning you into cannibals. He said, I'm teaching you a spiritual truth. I am the bread. My body is the bread that's going to be broken for the world. I will die on a cross. Are y'all here with me? My blood, which is the life of the man, is going to flow out. Say amen, hallelujah to the Lamb. And his spirit, the spirit of God is connected with his blood. So when he says in John 6, go there please. Are y'all with me tonight? How do you eat his flesh and drink his blood? When you get baptized in Jesus' name, there's a blood transfusion that takes place. You see, what you need to understand is that when the first, when first Adam, the first Adam was created by God, he had incorruptible blood. There was no sin in him. The blood that was in Adam was the blood of God. He was called the Son of God. So he had the blood of God in his veins. But when he sinned against God, then sin entered into the bloodstream. Praise the Lord. Now, the last Adam comes into the world. And the blood that is in him, he didn't get his blood from Joseph. He got his blood from the Father. And so the blood that was in him was like the blood that Adam originally was created with. It was incorruptible. It had no sin in it. Give God praise in the house. And so when he hung on Calvary and he died on the cross and his blood wasn't spilt, he didn't accidentally spill his blood. He shed his blood on purpose. When he shed his blood, that was the life of his humanity. Oh, hallelujah. So he shed his blood on Calvary. The life of the flesh left him. Praise God. So he shed his blood for you on Calvary. But then on the day of Pentecost, he poured out his the life of God. He poured out the life of God, his spirit on Pentecost. And that came upon the blood so that now the blood and the spirit of God, the life of his flesh, the blood, and which was the blood of God, and the life of God, which is his spirit, are inseparable now. So... Are y'all here now? So when you get water baptized in Jesus' name and the blood of Jesus is applied to your life, that incorruptible blood washes away your sin. And when that sin is washed away, come on, I'm talking about spiritual here now. When that blood in the name of Jesus washes your sin 
away spiritually and you get filled with the Holy Ghost, the life of God, now you have the blood and the Spirit of God inseparable. Somebody said, see he said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life. You need the life that my blood's going to give you. You need my life that the blood's going to give. Forgiveness of sin. You need a blood transfusion because you got the blood of Adam and the blood of Adam is corrupted by sin. You need a blood transfusion, not physically, but spiritually. So when you get baptized in Jesus' name and you get the Holy Ghost, you have experienced the life of God and you've eaten his flesh and drinking his blood. Give God praise in the house. You do not have the blood in your life without the Spirit of God because it's inseparable. Nor do you have the Spirit of God without the blood. But let me say, here's the good news. When you have the blood, you have the Spirit because the Spirit, remember, is in the blood. So when you have the Spirit of God, when you got filled with the Spirit of God, you got the blood of God. And when you got the blood of God, you got the Spirit of God. You can't separate the two. Now I just said a mouthful. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I have experienced a spiritual transfusion. I have drinking his blood. Not literally, but spiritually. I recognize the blood that brings forgiveness of sin. The blood was shed for my salvation. His body went through suffering for me. It was broken for me on that cross. And so now when I swallow that or I eat that, that means I believe it. And I've experienced the new birth. And when you experience the new birth, that's when you eat his flesh and drink his blood. Give God praise in the house. You get the blood of the Father. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Now, listen to me. Oh, I'm going back now. I'm going back. i got to preach fast here. I'm going back to the Garden of Eden now. I told you that when Adam saw the animals go by, the natural was speaking to him of something spiritual. When he saw the stallion go by with the mare, we have the male and the female. When we saw the buck go by with the doe, we have the male and the female. When we saw the lion go by with the lioness, we had male and female. When he saw that, he said, where's mine? God put him to sleep out of the first Adam's side, was taking a bone, and he formed a woman, Isha. Adam's lady. And then the Bible said they were joined there in holy matrimony by God. So now Adam, the first Adam, is walking with his bride and God says, where's mine? Now listen to me what I'm about to tell you. Adam walks into the garden with his wife Eve. Eve takes of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When she does, she sins against God. And the wages of sin is death. And as soon as she does, Adam begins to notice the life is leaving her. He looks at that lady and he sees the glory fading away. 
He sees Eve dying because of sin. And so the Bible says he willingly chose to eat the fruit because he loved her so much. He was not willing to live without her. So he said, give me that fruit and I'll die with you. That's how much he loved her. See, in his mind, he didn't know if he would ever see another one like her. He didn't know. He That is his lady. That is his wife. Uh, he doesn't know if he'll ever see another one. So he's as he sees her dying in the garden and sees the glory fading, he says, I can't live without you. Give me the fruit. And he willingly ate the fruit. What he's saying is, I will die with you. Now watch this. It's a picture. It's the natural before the spiritual. So Jesus comes into the world. And he sees, he says, where is my lady? Where is my lady? Where's my bride? She's dying. She's dying. But I'm not willing to live without her. So I'll die Oh, y'all with me on her behalf. I'll take her place on a cross. I'll be the last Adam and shed the blood of God out of my human body. That's the life of the flesh. I'm going to give it the bread to the world. Come on, somebody. I've got a bride in mind. I can't. He's saying I can't live without her. God said I can't live without that bride. Even if it means I gotta die for her, I can't live without her. Oh, praise the Lord. And so now he comes into the world, the blood of God flowing in his human veins and the spirit of God in his human body. And when he dies, he sheds the life of man. And on the day of Pentecost, he pours out the spirit, which is the life of God. And the two, the blood and the life of God, the spirit of God are inseparable. And so now we get a blood transfusion that we needed because the old Adam had strains of sin in his blood. We get a blood transfusion. Hallelujah to the lamb. I'm not talking about natural I'm talking about spiritually today so that when God looks at me he doesn't look at me as a sinner he looks at me as the bride I'm blood washed it's the blood of God that has cleansed my sin I've got the life of his flesh I've got the life of God inside of me oh hallelujah that's why I tell you today it's more than just accepting Jesus. You gotta eat his flesh and drink his blood. Without that, you have no life. Can you swallow that? Do you, can you receive this? Can you hear this? Without that, you cannot be saved. Without his blood, you can't be saved. Without his vicarious suffering on the cross, you cannot be saved. You will die and go to hell if you don't drink his blood and eat his flesh. If you don't, you're gonna die and go to hell. It's a figure of speech. It's all connected to His flesh being offered on the cross. The life of the flesh is in the blood. He shed that. And they're pouring out the Spirit of God upon you. Come on, somebody. Say praise the Lord. Woo, glory to God. Oh, for everybody here today that thinks all you've got to do is mentally accept Jesus and believe on Him. Just give Him a nod. You're saved. You are wrong except you are you with me eat his flesh and drink his blood you have no life in you i thank god for baptism in jesus name 
That's where the blood was applied to my life. I thank God for the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That's where the Spirit of God, the life of God, entered inside of me and regenerated my dead spirit. I've got the blood in the name of Jesus. And I've got the life of God by His Spirit. And they are connected. Say amen. Because if your life can be in your blood, then His blood has His life in it as well. Give God praise in the house. This was the blood of God. No wonder Peter said the precious blood. The precious blood. That old rugged fisherman. Old rugged fisherman. He's talking using words kind of kind of a little soft, you know. The, the, the precious blood. The precious blood. It's more precious than gold or silver. It's the precious blood of the Lamb. Well, let me tell you something. When Jesus came into the world, you know why the devil hated Jesus so much? Because of the blood that was in him. The devil hated the blood that was in Jesus. He still hates the blood. He's afraid of the blood. Oh, he runs from the blood. Hallelujah. Give God praise in the house. You say, I have the blood, Pastor, in my life. You do if you've got the Spirit of God, the life of God. You have the blood. You say, Pastor, I've got the spirits of God. If you have the spirits of God, then you have the blood. You can't separate the two. Give the Lord praise in the house. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. All right, so let's accept you eat my flesh and drink my blood. He's basically saying it's a figure of speech. Can you swallow this? Will you accept what I'm telling you? That outside of me there is no salvation. Outside of me, there is no forgiveness of sin. Outside of my blood and outside of my death on the cross, without giving me, giving my flesh for the life of the world, there's no salvation outside of me. You cannot be saved outside of Jesus Christ. It is impossible, my friend. You can't be saved by the law. You have to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, thank God. I'm washed in the blood. My sins have been remitted. Because I'm baptized in Jesus' name. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I've got the life of God in me. I have partaken. I have eaten His flesh and His blood. I believe that His humanity, His flesh, was God in humanity. I believe He was the God-man. And the God-man came into the world to be beaten and broken in His flesh. To be crucified on the cross. His blood was shed. The God-man. When I eat his flesh, I'm saying, I believe he's the God-man. When I eat his flesh, I'm saying, I believe he was the one broken and beaten for me. Stripes and the cross. When I eat his, drink his blood, I'm saying, his blood, I'm partaking of his blood. And his blood brings forgiveness of sins in my life. Say, praise the Lord, church. And by that, he set up an eternal covenant of which I am a part of tonight. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. Of which many of you here tonight are a part of tonight. He set up an everlasting covenant. It's called the blood covenant of which I and many of you here tonight are a part of. Isn't that beautiful? So he wasn't telling them to be cannibals. He's trying to bring them into the spirit. He did not succeed with them. 
Watch, I'm almost done. 54, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. See, they're still thinking natural. They're like Nicodemus. Said, can I enter into my mother's womb a second time and be born? Nicodemus was thinking natural. The Samaritan woman was thinking natural. Which, which hath, hath be this water? You don't have any bucket to draw with. How are you going to get this water you're talking about with no buckets and ropes? See, they're all in the natural realm. He's talking about a spiritual rebirth. He's talking about spiritual water. He's talking about spiritual bread. Come on, somebody. Oh, hallelujah. He will die on the cross and give his flesh and blood and pour it out on the day of Pentecost. Spiritual. He's trying to bring them into the spirit. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth, look at this, dwelleth in me, and I in him. When you're baptized in Jesus' name, you put on Christ. You're in Him. When the Spirit of God comes inside of you, He's in you. I in Him and He in me. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many thereof his disciples, oh, what is the response? To what he's saying. John now takes us and he shows us the response of the people. See, I told you before, I told you last week that there is no demands of God in a miracle. There were no demands of God in the feeding of the 5,000. There were no, no demands of God when he walked on the water. The demands of God are not in his miracles. He might say, tell us a person to do certain things. But that's not what I'm talking about. Now when he's speaking and he's preaching, in his word, he lays the demands of God on this crowd. That's why so many people today <clears throat> go to a church where there's miracles and signs. And, oh, come on, somebody. Because there's no demands of God in that. But now his word, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Are y'all hearing me right now? Now we have the demands of God coming on them. He's laying the demands of God on them. And what is the response? Many therefore of His disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? I want you to listen to this. Watch this. You have four, you have three or four different groups here. 
you have religious leaders. You have a large number of disciples. You have the twelve. And you have one in the twelve. Four groups. That just heard him lay his demands on them. He laid the word on them. And so what is the reaction or the response of the people to what he said? Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? Many of his disciples. We're not just talking about the... Listen, oh please, I'm almost done. Would you give me your undivided attention for just a minute? Many of his disciples. Friend, he had a church when he fed them, fed their bellies. 5,000 of them. He had a church of 5,000. When he gets through preaching the Word of God and laying the Word of God and the demands of God on them, when he gets done, all he'll have is 12. That's it. Out of 5,000. When he gets through preaching this message and laying the demands of God on them, his church walks out and leaves him. You hear me? There are religious leaders that are in opposition to him. They've already made up their mind in John chapter 5 when he told that man to take up his bed on the Sabbath day. They already made up their mind they're going to kill him. Because their interpretation of the Sabbath day was wrong. So when he told the man to take up his bed on the Sabbath day, they, they planned to kill him. And then second reason, because he made himself equal with God. So the religious, hostile religious leaders are already set in their mind to kill him. The Jews whispered, this is the son of Joseph and Mary. Hostile religious leaders. But, but we see here in this group, disciples. Many of those people who followed Jesus for a while until He laid the commands and the demands of God, until He preached the Word of God, in this passage, they were His disciples. And they said, their response was, this is a hard saying. The word means, this is offensive. What he is saying offends me. It's a hard saying. One translation, it's harsh. What Jesus is saying, said his disciples, is a harsh thing. It is offensive what he's saying. It's a hard saying. And they ask the question. Look at the response. It's harsh and it's offensive. It's hard. Who can hear it? Who can swallow what he just said? Who can eat what he just said? 
can hear this. Who can? Oh, we're with him as long as he's working signs, miracles, and wonders. We're with him as long as he's passing out bread. But when he starts preaching and laying the demands of God on them, they are offended. And they say, it's harsh. Right there when he gets done preaching, over half, more than half of his church walked out the door. I said his disciples. I didn't say the religious leaders that were in opposition to him. Over half of his church left him after he preached that message. Which lets me know Jesus is not after people. He's after converts. You and I better wake up. He's not after people. He's after converts. We're not after people. We're after converts. We're not after people so they can be a part of this assembly. We are after people who will be in the kingdom of God. Well, you don't have much people. We're not after people. We're after converts. We're after people who want to be in the kingdom. And sometimes the word we preach offends you. And sometimes the word we preach is harsh to you. But we're not after people. We're after people to come into the kingdom. And when these disciples leave Jesus, I want you to see something else. He doesn't ask them to come back. He will come down if you don't understand. If you say, God, I don't understand. Help me to understand. And you're honest when you say, I want to understand. He will come down and He will give you understanding. And most of the time, He'll use somebody to give you understanding. But he will never come down to anybody who's an unbeliever. If you hear the word and refuse to believe, he's not coming down. He's not asking you. This is a hard saying. This is the truth. That's why you there be that are saved. So watch what he says. Verse 61, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples, look at this, his disciples murmured at it. He said unto them, doth this offend you? I got to wait tonight. He's looking at his disciples. The, the large number of disciples. He knows who of them really believe in him. I'm not just talking about the twelve. He's not just talking about the twelve. 
He said, does this offend you? Is this hard? Is this harsh? He knew who of those disciples were really with him. Once the demands of God was laid on them, we saw who was real and who wasn't. There's a lot of people who talk the talk. They claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ until you lay the demands of the Word of God on them. And when you do, then you find out who is really a disciple of Jesus Christ. He looks at them and he says, does this offend you? I'm not changing my message. You disciples, if you have been offended, I'm, I'm putting it, I'm putting it in the first person here. You disciples that have been offended by what Jesus has said, Jesus is not going to change his message. Not to accommodate the unbeliever. He's not going to change his message to accommodate your unbelief. He will not change your, the message. If it offends you, so be it. If you leave, so be it. And it's not asking you to come back. Give God praise in this house. Because he's not after people. He's after a church. Oh, this offends you? What I just said? He said, what if you should see the Son of Man ascend and return? Ascend right now and return where he came from. What are you saying right now? If this is what I've said offended you, get ready. I'm fixing to go to the cross and I'm going to be lifted up from the earth on the cross. And then you're going to put me in a grave and I'm going to be lifted up out of that grave by resurrection. And after I'm resurrected from the dead, then I'm going to, then I'm going to be taken up into heaven by ascension and I'm going to go back where I came from. Come on, somebody. Give God praise. He said, if this offended you, he said, you wait till you see me lifted up on a cross, lifted me up, lifted up from a grave and ascended up to heaven. You wait. You wait. You'll be offended when you see me hanging on a cross. You'll, you'll be offended when you see. Yeah. You ain't seen nothing yet. What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? And they will see him. They will. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing, the words that I speak unto you. They are spirit and they are life. So now we find out you can't separate the Word of God from God. And if you reject the Word of God, you're rejecting God. Because the Word that He's spoken, they are spirit. And they are life. Oh, give God praise. The flesh profits nothing. You have to have the Spirit of God revealing to you. The vicarious suffering of Jesus Christ. His blood atonement. His death on the cross for you. Come on somebody. His resurrection from the grave. What it all means. You don't know it by the flesh. You have to have the spirit of God. Unless you're born again of the water and the spirit. You cannot understand the kingdom. 
You can't see it. You can't grasp it. God will come down if you don't understand. He will help you understand. But He will never come down to your unbelief. But there are some of you that believe not. He's speaking to his disciples. He said, but there's some of you that believe not. You're the ones that don't completely surrender. You're the ones that don't continue. You're the ones who don't respond to the word of God that's preached to you. It's coming down. God's choosing you. God's drawing you. But you're saying no by your own free will. You say no. Say praise the Lord, church. There are some of you that believe not. Whoa, you talk about strong. He's basically going to let them know and letting them know you don't even know God. Now, I wouldn't say that about those here tonight. Because some of you know God. Some of you know Him. But He's telling them, you don't even know God. You don't know God. You don't believe. Watch this. There'd be some of you that believe not. Not the twelve. He's not talking about the twelve. He's talking about that larger number of disciples. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray Him. He knew who in that congregation, that church, all of those numbers. He knew who's really with him once he laid the demands of the Word of God on him. He knew who would betray him. Not the twelve. Not the twelve. The other disciples. He said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. Election. But if you come, that shows you're the elect. Verse 66, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Many of his disciples the ones that were offended. The ones that said, who can hear this? They didn't lose their way. They didn't lose their way. They chose not to believe. Said, I don't understand. It's because you don't want to understand. I can't swallow that. It's because you don't want to swallow that. You're not losing your way. They weren't losing their way. They are doing what they're doing because they chose not to understand and not believe. On their way to hell. A part of the church by numbers one day. Exit the church the next. Thousands. Who experienced the feeding of the 5,000. They didn't all follow him. 
They saw the sign. They saw the wonder. But they never really saw it. Because the sign and the wonder was pointing them to Him. And they refused to see what the sign or the wonder meant. Whew, glory to God. He said, therefore, said unto you that no man, come on, can come to me or accept it. We're giving it from that time. Many of the disciples went back and walked no more with him. Call it backsliding. Call it the demands of Jesus laid upon them. Now they leave him. They're offended. I will say again, if you look at the verse, the Bible doesn't say Jesus said, please don't leave me. He doesn't even say, please come back. Because He knows who the Father has given Him. And the ones the Father has given Him are the ones who believe what He's saying, believe His Word and are coming to Him. They are the elect. The ones who refuse to understand and refuse to respond to that Word and just say it's hard, it's a hard saying. I just don't get it. I don't understand it. It's because they chose not to. And not if you say, I don't understand, I don't get it. It's because you chose not to. Okay. Listen to me, church. Jesus went from a church of 5,000 people to 12 with one message. And honestly, I'll be honest with you, good church. I'll be honest. I don't believe Jesus when He said, you know, He looks at His 12, the 12 disciples. Will you also go away? I don't believe He said it arrogantly. I believe there were tears running down His eyes, down His face, out of His eyes. Will you also go away? You go with the rest of those disciples? He wasn't arrogant. He had tears running down His face. John 6, 66. Six, six, six. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Six, six, six. Then said Jesus unto the twelve. Now we move to this group, the twelve. Will ye also go away? Again, I'm not tell, I'm not, I don't believe he's arrogant. And I'm not, I don't believe he's telling them, why don't you just leave too? He's saying, I just lost the majority of my church. And he's looking at the few, the twelve. That's all that's left. Just twelve. And says, will you also go away? Are you going to join them? Are you going to join them? I'm not changing the message. Are you going to join them? He's not changing the message. Watch. Then Simon Peter, he's a spokesman of the twelve, then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
Thou hast the words of eternal life. Thank God for the Peters in the church. That'll say we we're not going anywhere. We know you're not going to change the message, but we're not going anywhere. <laughs> I remember Brother Dice told a story. He told a story. He said there was a, a family, a woman. And a man, he said, they gave him so much trouble. Are you pastors? I mean, he played them basically out of San Quentin. Okay? He saved, basically, his ministry saved their life. And they were nothing but problem, problem, problem to him. And he said, he just got to the point where he was sick and tired. He was fed up with them. He called them into his office and he said, he said, I'm asking you to leave. He said, I'm going to write a letter and you can go anywhere you want to go. Just leave here. He had enough of them. And he did it. He said, this woman got up, started crying. He said, if it wasn't for you, I'd be dead right now. I'd be in jail right now. I'd be on drugs right now if it wasn't for you. She said, we're not going anywhere and nor are you. <laughs> he said before it was all over, he said they were all in his office crying. He says before it was all over, he was begging them to stay. You got some people like that. You know, we're not going anywhere. You kick me out, I'm still going to show up on your doorstep. Praise the Lord. You going to go? You going to quit the church? Peter said to Jesus, Whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. We can't go to the Greeks because their philosophy won't save us. We can't go to the Pharisees because their religion is falling apart. We can't go to the Sadducees because they don't believe in resurrection. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in spirits. We can't go to the Romans because they're caught up in materialism and a multiplicity of deities. We can't go to them and find salvation. See? You're the only one. Not you. <laughs> Jesus is the only one that has the words of eternal life. He's the only one that can bring salvation to you. Let me tell you something. Some of y'all came out of denominations and the denominations you came out of, a lot of the things you learned there were good. There were a lot of things I learned in the church I was brought up, that they were right, they were good. But there are a lot of things that were wrong. When I came into this church, when I found out it was in the Bible, I had to start believing the Bible. You see, when Jesus laid His demands on them and called for them to change, they were not willing to change. 
except the disciples, 12. Where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Watch. See, some of you, you get in here, you got all kind of denomination, religion in you. We got to get that out of you. Some of it's still good. We want you to keep what's good. Keep what's good. Keep what you learned that was good. But you, you got to start believing in the Bible. So we got to get some error out of you, and we got to put the truth in you. And but some of the truth that you learn, we leave, leave it in you. You understand? But you're going to have to change. You're going to be willing to change. Some of us, when we came in here, we didn't have no, no, we didn't have no denomination. We didn't have no religion. We just came off the street. We didn't have to get no false doctrine or religion out of you. You came off the street. The only thing we had to get out of you was pride. And we're still working on that with some of you. So some of you, we got to get that streetwise out of you. You're streetwise. You come to church, you think that's God's wisdom. It's not God's wisdom. That's streetwise. Some of you are streetwise. You know nothing about God at all. You just came in with the wisdom of the world. You're streetwise. I'm still working on some of you. You're still streetwise. You know what I'm telling you? But either way, you're coming out of denominationalism or you're coming off the street. You still have to be willing to change. Say amen. We, we, we can't go anywhere but to you, Jesus. See Where are we going to go? Where are you going to go? Honestly, where are you going to go? You're going to go back to denominationalism? You're going to go back to the street? Where are you going to go? Where am I going to go? I know you want to go. You got to, you know, I want to go. I want to go. Where are you going? If they do that to me again, I'm going. Where are you going? I don't know. I'm just going. Where are you? If you don't know where you are, you don't know where you're going. You got to know where you are to know where you're going. You're just going. So you don't even know where you are. How can you go? At least Peter had enough brains, enough spiritual intellect to know that Jesus is where I want to be. And I don't want you to change the message. Keep preaching the word of God. Keep, keep preaching the truth. It, oh, I, I don't know what it is. Sometimes I get calls from y'all. Y'all start talking to me. And, see, to these some of these disciples, Jesus talked with strange. You come to a church that's really preaching the truth, and I'm not saying we're the only ones, but you go to any church that's really preaching the truth, and when you go and sit down in that church, what's coming out of that preacher's mouth is going to sound strange to you. It's going to feel strange. It's hard sayings. Because you're used to having your ears tickled until the demands of God are laid on you. And that's strange to the flesh. Praise the Lord. Strange. Some of y'all, it's still strange. And I'm preaching right out of the book. 
I'm preaching right out of the Bible. That's strange. Thou hast the word to become life. And, he, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ. The Son of the living God. You're the Christ of God. You're the Messiah. You're the true bread that came down from heaven. You are, I am. You are God come in flesh. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're God come in flesh. You're God in sonship. You're more than a man. You're more than Joseph's son. More than Mary's son. You're God's son. You're the holy thing. You have the words of eternal life. You have the message when it's preached will bring people into eternal life. And without it, they cannot be saved. They will die and go to hell. The words of eternal life. You believe. They're sure. How many of y'all believe? Continually. With a complete surrender. That's what it means. Born again of the water and the Spirit. We're sure. How many of y'all are sure? Sure. That thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus. 70. Verse 70, 71. Now we see one in the midst of the twelve. We saw the murmuring and whispering of the hostile religious leaders. We saw the disciples, larger number that left him, left church. We saw the twelve who said, we're staying with you. We saw now, we see now, one in the twelve. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil. One of you is the devil. Jesus chose not the eleven. He chose the twelve. And he said, One of you is the devil. And he said that Judas Iscariot was the devil from the beginning. So when Jesus chose Judas Iscariot, he knew Judas was the devil. And he invited him. <laughs> to be a part of his church. Why would Jesus choose a man who is the devil from the beginning to be a part of the twelve, a part of the church? The mysteries of God, the ways of God and the doings of God and the doings of God are beyond your comprehension and understanding. Why would he choose Judas if Judas is the devil? This lets me know that the devil comes and sets among the saints 
in the church. This lets me know that a man can be so close to Jesus that he can touch him and still be lost. Judas Iscariot ate with Jesus, slept with Jesus. You know what I mean. I'll read clarity to that. In this generation, when they slept, Judas was among them when they slept. Ate with Jesus, slept with Jesus, went to church with Jesus, heard Jesus preach, saw Jesus work miracles, but yet he was the devil. Why would Jesus choose Judas Iscariot? He was possessed by the devil, not a demon, the devil. Because Jesus would have an impartial witness. An impartial witness. See, it's one thing for your friends to say, that's a good man. It's one thing for your disciples, for the disciples to say that Jesus is God. Jesus is a good man. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the God-man and the man of God. I'm almost done. Let me say it to you again. It's one thing for the disciples to say he's the God-man. He's the man of God. He's a good man. He's the Son of God. You could take that as a partial witness. They're partial because they're his friends. But Jesus chose a man possessed with the devil. Eight slept, went to church with him, heard him preach, saw the miracles that he did. That close but yet lost. That close to God but still lost. In the church but still lost. Among saints but still lost. So that when Judas Iscariot betrays Jesus Christ, listen, an Antichrist is in the church. An Antichrist is in the church. Judas Iscariot betrays the Lord Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver. They take him, they crucify him on a cross. And the devil takes the 30 pieces of silver and says, I have betrayed innocent so even the devil said he's innocent. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Jesus had an impartial witness. A witness that was not partial. A witness that was not a friend. Even the devil had to say he's an innocent man. Even the devil had to give a testimony. He is the God man. He is the man of God. He is the Son of God. He is who He claimed to be. Even the devil had to testify. Uh, I come to a close. See, it's one thing, me and Brother Mark, we know each other. We're good friends. I'm his pastor, but we're good friends until I start laying the Word of God on him. Not really. He's, he's always for that. Um, it's, it's one thing for Brother Mark to get up and talk about, you know, me, how... Yes, they are. Let me just reverse this. I know Brother Martin. He's a good guy. 
he's a good guy. He's a man of God. Right? He loves God. He, he loves the Word of God. He's going to live for God. And that's true. And it's one thing for me to say that, but I don't live with it. But if I go to Sister Sonia, she lives with it. <laughs> I'm getting back from the fire. And, and Sister Sonia tells me he's a man of God. Okay? He loves God. He loves the Word of God. I live with him. I eat with him. I sleep with him. I go to church with him. He is who he is all the time. That's an impartial witness. She lives with him. See what I'm saying? See, you really want to know about, you really want to know what somebody's really like. Don't go and ask their friends. Ask their wife or their husband. They're an impartial witness. You'll find out what they're really about. So that even the devil had to say, Jesus is an innocent man. Give God praise in the house. Yeah. Why did Jesus choose Judas Iscariot? Help me, God, tonight not to be an Antichrist or Judas Iscariot. Can be that close to God and be lost in the church and still be lost. In contrast, Peter says, Where else? Where can we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Look at his testimony. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. In contrast to Judas Iscariot. Praise the Lord. God bless your heart. I thank God for His Word tonight. Thank God for the truth tonight.